Welcome to the Hope on the Way podcast with Father John Ahmed. John is the bishop of the Interdenominational Order of Missioners of the Holy Spirit, and he's the founder of Hope on the Way Ministries. Now, join Father John and discover hope and relevant answers in following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is Father John coming to you from my home office, and today I want to address the issue, can a Christian be demonized? Or another way to ask this is, can a Christian have a demon or even demons? The reason I'm addressing this issue is that there has been a lot going on in the entertainment world with recent movies about the demonic Not only that, but there's been a lot of news and events regarding demonic deliverance and and writings about this topic. In fact, recently, a national Pentecostal internet ministry host wrote a second essay that basically advocated for the idea that a Christian, a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, cannot manifest a demonic presence. They cannot have a demon. And the question we need to ask ourselves before continuing this discussion is, why are we even asking and wanting to answer this question? The question of, can a Christian have a demon? For many, it's mostly out of their theological considerations. Most of the arguments I hear against this idea is based on deductive logic and theology rather than the clear teaching of sacred scripture. And This deductive logic essentially goes like this. Demons can't possess those whom God possesses. And it sounds good on the face of it. A similar argument would be this. The Holy Spirit and the demonic spirit can't abide in the same place. I think that's a little less persuasive, but that is the deductive reasoning. For others who ask this question, can a Christian be demonized or have a demon? They are mostly asking this question out of pastoral concern. They're asking it out of the motive of helping those who may be afflicted. And I want to recommend two very important books For those of you who are interested in pursuing this more in depth, they are both out of print, I believe, but very accessible and easy to find. The first book is by Derek Prince. It is called They Shall Expel Demons. Derek Prince, They Shall Expel Demons. I think what Prince has to offer is the victimization aspect of those who are oppressed, and if you want to use this word, possessed, by evil spirits. Prince 
lovingly treats those who are victimized. He explains how it can happen and surprisingly how it can happen. How it can happen to innocent people rather than those who are demonized, it's always their fault. They have some failing or they're not even real Christians. They're just masquerading as Christians. That's why they have these demons. I think an even more important book and the best one that I have read on this subject is Francis McNutt. It's called Deliverance from Evil Spirits, a Practical Manual. Francis McNutt, Deliverance from Evil Spirits, a Practical Manual. Francis McNutt lived into his 90s, passed away not too long ago, and spent many, many years in healing ministry and deliverance ministry. He started out as a charismatic Catholic priest and was later laicized and did a lot of ministry among Episcopalians, evangelicals, and charismatics. So, can a believer be demonized? Can a Christian have a demon? In the King James Version of the Bible, we read the phrase possessed by a demon or demon-possessed. Now, the Greek translation of this phrase is open to question how one should accurately translate it. Many feel that the word demonized is a much better phrase than possessed. And I think many modern translations will say they had an unclean spirit rather than they were possessed by an unclean spirit or an evil spirit. What does this mean to be demon-possessed, to be demonized, to have an unclean and evil spirit? Can a demon really gain control and talk out of a believer? Again, let me just ask this question again. Can a demonic force entity gain control of and talk out of a true, genuine Christian, born again, spirit-filled, however you want to, to phrase it, believer? And the answer is yes, it can and does happen. And I'm sorry if this answer disappoints you. If you just say that can't happen based on deductive theological logic. But I want to assure you that you may be surprised that on the evangelical fundamental side of things, there have been theologians and pastors who have answered that question affirmatively. It's not just some nutty Pentecostal charismatic believers and maybe a couple theologians who believe that a demon can gain control of and talk out of a believer. It is both sides of the fence, on the sacramental side, on the Pentecostal charismatic side, on the evangelical side. Let me back up my answer to this question by, first of all, qualifying the following discussion. I'm going to qualify it. By answering yes to the question that a demon can control and talk out of a genuine Christian believer, whether we call them born again or spirit-filled or however we want to say that, that we must qualify our discussion 
by insisting we never become the accuser of our brothers and sisters. I don't ever want to assume or point my finger at a brother or sister, and especially a ministry leader, and say, well, that person has an demon. That's why they're saying these things or teaching these things or behaving this way. We have to be very careful. Remember, the opponents of Jesus Christ claimed he had a demon. In fact, there may be people who are listening to me or people who are on the other side of the fence who may say, you know, those who believe Christians can have a demon speak out of them and control them even for a short period of time are themselves demonically possessed. We need to be careful not to go in that direction. I think it's also important to note that it is accusative to insist that those who are victimized by demon powers are deserving of their affliction. Accusations like, oh, a demon spoke out of them and they were delivered of a demon. There's something nasty about them. Or they weren't really genuine believers at all. That just drives them underground. And again, we're being Satan. We're being the accuser to the brethren. And I want to just give you a heads up here that the first time I ever heard of any minister doing deliverance ministry with demons speaking out of born again, if you want to use that phrase, Christians was from a Baptist pastor who in the early 1970s, as a very young pastor, drove out a demon from a 12-year-old at a fundamental evangelical Bible camp. The manifestation that accompanied this deliverance was undisputably demonic. So again, not a bunch of wacky, charismatic, Pentecostal types claiming that Christians can have demons and looking real hard to find them. I also want to qualify this discussion by saying this. Don't dabble in deliverance ministry. Don't dabble in it. Those who minister in deliverance ministry must be trained. They must be educated. Now, if you find yourself in a situation where there isn't a lot of or any trained deliverance minister around, well, you might have to be the person that God gives grace to. I understand that. But don't go dabbling in it. Don't try to be superhero Christian. I'm going to deliver folks. That's going to be the focus of my life and not seek training and mentoring from those who are experienced because you can get yourself in a lot of trouble, a lot of deception. Also, further qualification. If possible, if possible, we must not practice deliverance ministry in public. We must not do it in public with the exception, with the exception that we are confronted in public. For example, Christ never picked a fight with demons. He never, he never in scripture do you see him say, if there are any demons in the crowd today, I command you to manifest. You never see him openly picking a fight. You see him rebuking demons and, and uh, using that as part of his healing. I'm thinking of the, women, the woman bent over with the spirit of a infirmity. But he never really picked a fight. And again, we see Paul in Acts, where the fortune teller who's demonized calls him out, and he does a 
a public, a very public casting out of the demonic power that gets him in a lot of trouble. We must not do it in public to protect those who are victimized. Again, when we think about delivering people from evil spirits, whether we we see them as Christians or not, we have to protect their, their dignity. We have to lovingly do this. I've seen so many horrible models of ministers who have good intentions, but they're really just not practicing this ministry in a loving way. And so again, training, don't do it publicly. Don't sensationalize it. We must not sensationalize this ministry because when we do that, the devil gets the attention and glory. And when we discuss this issue, we must not discuss it sensationally. Even if we do give examples of what happened, we must make the discussion based on pastoral concern and love. Why are we discussing this today? Out of pastoral concern and love for those who are being victimized. Also, final qualification, we must never use the existence of demons as proof of God, proof of Jesus Christ, or proof of the gospel. Don't do it. Don't say, well, there it was a demon manifest, and that proved that God exists, Christ exists, and gospels. We don't use demons to prove God and his existence and the veracity of the gospel. Rather, rather, notice the distinction, we use the power to cast out demons as proof of God. The power to cast out demons as proof of the truthfulness and reality of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The very fact that we're doing this ministry proves that God is real, Jesus Christ is true man and true God, the Savior of the world, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Now, let's go back to our question. Can a Christian have a demon or demons that speak out of them? Can they be possessed? Not a great word, in my opinion. I don't think it's really the best word, the best biblically accurate word, but it was handed down to us from the King James translation, the first super popular English translation that came into the Western English world. And the answer to that question, of course, is yes. And why must we answer yes to this question? First of all, we have the historical cases in church history of Christians being delivered from demons. Through ancient times, up until today, baptism in the liturgical, the ancient churches, has always included what is called a minor exorcism. Baptism has always included a minor exorcism as part of the rite of baptism, the renunciation of Satan. It's called a minor exorcism versus a major exorcism, and I don't think we need to get into that. But there is, there is the acknowledgement, especially in ancient times, that those coming from, from paganism um, needed to be delivered from evil spirits before the act of baptism. So they didn't bring these demonic powers into the life of the church. For over 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has been performing exorcisms. 
And has that only been on pagans, only been on non-Christians? No, the majority of those exorcisms have been performed on Christians. You might say, well, Catholics aren't Christians. If that's where you are, folks, then probably best just to turn this off right now because um, I don't think we're going to see eye to eye for very much of what we're talking about. Good Catholic Christians were performing exorcisms on believers in Jesus Christ who were faithful to him. In the movie The Jesus Revolution that depicts the rise of the Calvary Chapel movement and the Jesus People movement, there was a divide in that movement that was not covered in the movie, nor should it have been. And that divide within the Calvary Chapel movement was over casting out demons from Christian. The Jesus Revolution, the Jesus movements, the Calvary Chapel movement divided amicably, amicably, not, not hostily, but amicably in two distinct directions. One was Calvary Chapel, and one was Vineyard, the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. Calvary Chapel, of course, led by Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith. The Vineyard Movement led by John Wimber and, for a time, Lonnie Frisbee. The Calvary Chapel Movement said to these Vineyard folks before they divided, agreed to divide, is that Christians can't have demons. And the vineyard folks said, well, then why are we casting them out of these Christians? And of course, I think many of the Calvary folks said to the vineyard folks, well, they weren't really Christians. That's why you're casting them out. But again, what do we do with people who manifest demons and profess to be Christians, profess to be born again, exhibit in their lives the fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness, claim to be born again, what do we do once we deliver them from evil spirits? Do we rebaptize them over again? Do we have them pray the sinner's prayer over again? You see, again, the Calvary side, in my opinion, was mostly a theologically deductive argument. And I think it was well-meaning, wanting to somehow protect the sovereignty and goodness of God. Where the vineyard divide on this issue was we have a pastoral concern, a pastoral mandate to help people who are being victimized. And finally, as we look at the case of church history and Christians being delivered from demons, we see that the vast experience of healing ministries, and especially contemporary healing ministries, has been that Christians can indeed manifest demons. I'd like to also note that in my discussion of the Jesus Revolution, that the Calvary Chapel movement, which divided into various streams, but especially Calvary Chapel Vineyard, is that demonic oppression and manifestations coming from Christians and casting out demons from Christians was not the only issue that divided this movement. There was more, but again, I want to emphasize that the 
division was amicable rather than hostile. Now, let's look at the biblical text. The case of the demonic manifestation in the synagogue. In Mark chapter 1, it says that they went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed or the word could have been translated as demonized, by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. Now please indulge me and let me read into the text a little bit. My understanding of this text of scripture is that no one had an idea this man had a demonic presence. In fact, I don't think there would be any chance that the synagogue rulers and authorities would have let a demonized man into the synagogue. I believe what happened is that this man himself probably didn't know that he had a demon oppressing him. But at the moment of God's sovereignty and power and the encounter with Jesus, there was that manifestation. Francis McNutt, who wrote the book Deliverance from Evil Spirits, a practical manual, talks about, from his Catholic perspective, the difference between deliverance and exorcism. McNutt talks about, from the Catholic tradition, the understanding of practice between exorcism and deliverance. McNutt says that in the Catholic tradition, exorcism is done on those who have recurrent, remarkable, demonic infestation and oppression that again is recurrent and very powerful, where deliverance ministry is practiced on those who have not exhibited demonic manifestation or what we would call possession. And McNett explains in his book that in these deliverance sessions is that at the very moment of their deliverance, people will manifest vocally or through some other sign, a demonic presence coming out of them. But other than that, there would be no demonic manifestation, especially vocally, that happened in their lives previously. So this could explain why a demoniac was allowed into the synagogue. The guy didn't know he had a demon, nor did the leaders of the synagogue, because it was at the time of his deliverance that the demonic power that had been oppressing him vocalized, verbalized, and manifested. In fact, those who practice deliverance ministry know that these evil spirits like to hide and not be found out. We can also look at other biblical examples from Saul, who was oppressed by an evil spirit, 
In Luke 13, Jesus delivers someone from an evil spirit and calls her a daughter of Abraham. Judas, who, remember, did all the signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit that the other 12 did when they were sent out, that Judas had Satan enter him. Ananias in Acts 5, Peter says, Satan filled your heart. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul, interestingly, says that he delivered the body of the very sinful man to Satan that his spirit may be saved. So again, one could say, well, these were born-again believers. Again, we could talk about even the meaning of the term born-again in my humble theological opinion. The born-again experience is just that. It's an experience rather than a whole theology of soteriology. That being said, let's conclude this discussion today. First of all, I know I've left more questions unanswered than I've answered, but we were trying to answer one question. From a pastoral concern, can a genuine true believer in Jesus Christ have and manifest a demonic spirit verbally? And the answer, sadly, is yes, it can happen. In light of that, we must have a discreet ministry of casting out evil spirits. We must be dispassionate about this subject. We must be educated when addressing the subject of casting out demons and exercising deliverance ministry from evil spirits. We must be certain to never become accusers, no matter which side of the fence we're on. We must be certain, especially if we practice deliverance ministry and believe that Christians can have demonic powers oppress them. We must be careful that we don't see every problem in a believer's life as demonic. Well, they have a headache and it's demonic. They have some emotional disorder. It's demonic. We have to be careful. We don't see a demon behind every bush and corner because if we do that, we're going to mess people up. We're going to keep them from receiving the help they need, whether it's medical, psychological, or spiritual. And let's not sensationalize and glorify Satan. Doing, doing so doesn't help the kingdom. Let's never make deliverance ministry the sole focus of the gospel so that it diminishes other aspects of the gospel. But on the other hand, let's acknowledge that casting out evil spirits is a ministry of Jesus and a ministry aspect of the gospel. Let's keep in mind, too, as we conclude this discussion, that the church has been delivering Christians from evil spirits for over 2,000 years. And if you don't like that they were Catholic Christians or Orthodox Christians, I, I can't do much for you, folks. They were just Christians. Maybe they believed it a little different from you, but they were Christians. Baptized, following the Lord, going to church every Sunday. Let's keep in mind, too, that Christ and the apostles cast out evil spirits from faithful followers of Yahweh. We can discuss about what role the Holy Spirit had in their lives. And I, I know the gift of the Holy Spirit is a New Testament experience, but they 
Indeed, we're faithful followers of Yahweh. Also, all of the theological deductions and objections will not help one person who is being victimized by Satan. Again, this is the heart of the pastoral concern. I mean, we can thought theologically bounce this back and forth, but it's not going to help one person who is being victimized by Satan. I'm sorry you're a Christian. You can't have a demon, so I'm not going to help you. The church must raise up anointed, called, educated, trained ministers, trained ministries to free our brothers and sisters who are in need from demonic bondage. There's a great need today. And we need anointed, called, educated, trained ministers and ministries to do this very difficult ministry. Why? Not because we have some theological hobby horse we want to ride, but because the love of God compels us to do it. They need our help. If you feel that you're being oppressed by evil spirits, may the Lord dispel any confusion, fear, feelings of helplessness from your life, and may he give you wisdom of where to seek help and to be delivered. And for those of you, the vast, vast majority of those who are listening to me, you don't have a demon. You live good, happy, faithful Christian lives, but this subject has been of interest to you. If the discussion of this subject has caused any confusion in your mind, any doubts, any fears, any worries. Know this, the Father loves you, little ones. And let me bless you. May the peace of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And may the love and the power of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit envelop you, fill you, and surround you with perfect protection that you remain and abide in him now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the Hope on the Way podcast with Father John Ahmed. We invite you to subscribe or follow this podcast on your preferred podcasting platform. To find out more about Hope on the Way Ministries and Father John, check out our website at hopeontheway.info. That's hopeontheway.info. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Amen.